Gear up as Cash Miller and a team of accomplished guests steer you on an enlightening voyage filled with valuable tips, fresh insights, and effective strategies. Welcome to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. Hello, everyone. This is the host of Marketing Masters, Cash Miller. I'm the CEO of Titan Digital. Today, I'm talking blog writing. I've got Allison Van Verhalen. I knew I would mess up that last name. Yeah, Verhalen, AV Writing Services. She's a blogging expert, writes for you know website content, and really knows you know not just blogs but websites in general. The things that you need to be putting out there on your site, how to get attraction, you know, the SEO best practices that you're going to want. How do you how do you actually do this on a consistent basis and such? Allison, it is great to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. It's so great being here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, like you said, I write blog posts. I do also write other website content, landing pages, sales pages, bios, all that good stuff. But blogging is my bread and butter. That's how I got started in this. A little background about me. I did major in English and psychology. So I got the perfect degree for what I'm doing without realizing that this was even an option. I thought I wanted to work in publishing, but I graduated in 2009 right when the job market crashed. So there were no jobs to be had in publishing or really anywhere else. So I answered phones for a few years to try to make ends meet, ended up between jobs at one point. My roommate at the time, her dad, who was an attorney, was awesome and offered to give me stuff to do around his office until I got back on my feet. And one of the things he needed was someone to write blog posts for his law firm. So he knew I had a strong writing background, so he offered me the gig. And I was like, what? I can get paid to write? Seriously? Yeah, sign me up. So I jumped at that chance, um, started, had never (laughs) written a blog post before, much less a blog post about employment law. Um, So I started by writing the blog posts he already had. He had been writing them himself, which lawyers should never (laughs) write their own marketing content. Um, I struggled to figure out what he was trying to say. The first couple paragraphs started out pretty strong, but then in the third paragraph, it jumped to something completely different. And I was like, how did you get from there to there? I did sit there and figure it out and I did eventually figure out what he was trying to do but only because I was getting paid to do so. If I had been a prospect, I would have said, okay, thanks. I'm going to find what I need somewhere else because this is not helping me. So I went back to him and said, yes, I can absolutely write blog posts for you because I know I can do better than this. I did not say that last part out loud. I just thought it really hard. (laughs) So yeah, I took over writing blog posts for him and I would write about two to four blog posts per month. And after six months, he came back and told me I had brought in $75,000 worth of business to his law firm through the content that I was writing for his blog post. So that was my first indication that, oh, hey, there's real money to be made here. This is pretty cool. So that is how I got my start. And uh, the, the rest is history. Well, I think you kind of pointed out a, um, something really you know, interesting that people forget, you know, as when you're writing content and such, you know, you're not a lawyer, right? So you have to, the challenge that you face is understanding, you know, what kind of content they need. Like a lawyer is not necessarily great at writing, you know, marketing content and blog content and such. But so they know the law. You are, you know, the writer that can actually get it done in the, the correct way, but you have to learn, you know, those things that you're going to write about. And 
you know, law content is always, you know, typically very specifically targeted, you know, towards certain types of law and such, you know, because people will look up, you know, things about child custody or something else, you know, and blog content actually can bring in quite a few customers, you know, for them or clients because of the fact that they're looking up something specific. Yeah. And if that piece is, you know, ranked well, um, they have the chance that, you know, that they're going to visit that site and they say, well, this person knows, you know, what they're talking about. Maybe I should contact them, mm-hmm. you know, because not everybody, especially when, you know, like lawyers, they'll specialize in certain things, you know, certain types right. of law and there's others they don't want to work with. You know, so I think people, they don't realize how much on a, uh, you know, business owners, how much you have to take the time to understand their business so that you can write about it well. Yeah. You know, and that can be quite a challenge. Yeah, so um, I'm sure you work with other types of clients besides lawyers, but I would I would think every time you know you have to do that research. Um, walk us through like just a little bit when you're learning about a new type of client. You know, what's your process a little bit? It varies from client to client. Um, so for that particular client, I he would actually send me uh, news articles, or I would look for news articles about cases that are similar to the kinds of cases that he covers. Um, and I would just repurpose the article into a blog post. So it was more like, here's what you need to know. Here's how the law applies. If you need help with this, or if you need help preventing this, <laughs> reach out to us so so we can help you with that. Um, I still do a fair amount of, of research online to, to learn about my clients' um, industries and what they're doing. I do also depending on the topic, um, I might just reach out to them and maybe interview them. Some of my clients do have an idea of what they want their topics to be on their blog post. Maybe they have some bullet points they want me to fill in. And that's great. That makes my job super easy. Um, and other times, yeah, it's just interviewing my clients to get an idea of, of, uh, you know, who they are, what they're all about, what, who their target audience is. So not only do I know the specifics of the topic that I'm covering, but I also know who the content is, is aimed at so that we can kind of get inside their head and create content specifically for them. Hmm. Okay. So let's, you know, that kind of goes into, um, like a little bit of the structuring of blogs and stuff, you know, so I want to start with like, what are the elements of a successful blog? How are, you know, if, if you say I'm going to do blogging and, you know, we're going to try to make this so that it is actually, you know, potentially a revenue producer to some degree for us, you know, exposure, whatnot. What are the things you've got to do or should be doing as best practices with your blog? First and foremost, consistency, consistency, consistency pick a schedule and stick to it. You don't have to blog every day or even every week, but at the very least once a month, ideally twice a month, um, pick a schedule and stick to it. Be, be religious about it. Treat it just like any other client project or something with a, with a hard deadline. Cause if you don't, we all know it'll never get done. We know, we all know it's the last thing on, on most of our to-do lists. So make sure that you make the, the time and you commit to doing that. Or again, hire someone like me to, to do it for you if that's just too much. Um, other elements of a successful blog, um, again, know your target audience and know the questions that they're asking. I use keywords, but if you don't pay for a keyword research tool, a great place to start is what do people tend to ask you 90% of the time, whether it's in client calls, prospecting calls, networking events, 
summer barbecues where you're hanging out with people and they ask what you do and you tell them and they go, oh, I want to know about such and such, right? What are those questions that you hear over and over and over again? Because if they're asking those questions in person, there's a good chance they're asking them over at our our good friend Google. So that can be a great way to get in front of people. Um, Length is a, a question that I get all the time. How long should my blog post be? There is no one answer for that. I do want to at least 500 words is the one hard rule I would give for how long it should be. That's about one page in a Microsoft Word document typed up single spaced. Um, That's the bare minimum. Uh, Ideally, it should be longer. Um, But again, if you find that you've covered everything there is to cover in a given topic and, you know, 600, 700 words, great. Don't feel like you have to keep writing to reach some arbitrary word count. Just create those long in-depth ultimate guide style blog posts because Google loves those. And then again, when people find your blog post, if they have a specific question related to the topic, they're more likely to find uh, the answer to that in your blog post because you have covered everything there is to cover in there. Okay. So, you know, um, you mentioned the word count and stuff because, you know, like Google does, have suggestions anyway, because, you know, if you can get to longer counts, you know, um, because they want to see that. I know Google's, of course, ultimate drive is going always going to be, you know, um, to be provide the most relevant, best content that it can and everything, you know. And so uh, as part of the, I guess, the chance to show up, you know, a little bit better, longer content you know, typically can help you in that regard as long as it's informative. You don't want to just fluff it up to fluff it up, you know, stretch it out as much right. as you possibly can. You know, that's that's going to be a problem. Um, how do you go about, okay, so if you're picking topics, you know, like to make sure that they're relevant because sometimes, you know, companies can put content out that is like it can grab traction, but, you know, it's not going to necessarily be any kind of a revenue driver you know a lawyer is going to talk about stuff specific to them you know but you can end up with content that is like kind of in the realm but you know it'll grab traffic you know because you might be able to rank for it well and stuff so how do you go about determining you know what kind of content you really should be i mean you talk to them you have an idea okay this is the things but you know, let's talk about the actual like keyword research. Let's get into the SEO piece a little bit, you know, of how do you go about ranking that? You know, if you're going to optimize a blog post, what are your steps going to be? Okay, that's at least two different questions. So let me start with the <laughs> first part about uh, making sure it generates revenue is uh, sometimes one blog post won't generate revenue um, with with one reader or, or one read through, right? Sometimes some people get to your, your blog and they'll read a blog post and they want to know more or they want to sign up for your newsletter or maybe they're interested, but they're not they're not ready to buy yet. Um, I run into this a lot because I tend to have a pretty long buyer journey. A lot of my clients are in the, they're technically in the B2C space, um, but they tend to be professional service providers. Like I said, the lawyers and the uh, financial people. So they tend to have, they, they tend to act more like a B2B in that they have that longer buyer journey. Um, so with the, the call to act, so know what that buyer journey looks like so that you know where they are in the buyer journey when they're encountering each piece of content. Um, blog posts can be great ways to capture people early in the buyer journey um, when they're looking, you know, 
what is this law or how to do such and such or what is this? Why do I need to know about it? Um, that's when they're just kind of exploring this area. They're probably not going to be ready to buy yet, but that's a great way to capture them on, on your blog and either lead them to other content on your blog. You can uh, invite them to subscribe to your newsletter, sign up for your webinar, download XYZ, whatever that lead magnet is so that you can capture them in the funnel and then keep leading them through that buyer journey all the way to the point where they're ready to buy. So, um, the other part of that is you can have blog posts that are like, here's my new thing and, and here's what you need to know about it and here's where you can go to buy it. The vast majority of your blog posts should be value driven. You should be educating your prospects on a certain aspect of your business, your product, your service. Um, again, I'm service-based. Most of my clients are service-based. So we tend to focus on here's what you need to know to help yourself before reaching out to a professional. Um, the vast majority of your, your blog posts should be focused on that educational content. And then every once in a while, you can sprinkle in something that's purely promotional, especially if you are you know, publishing your new book or launching a new product or service or a webinar or whatever it might be that, that warrants that kind of promotion. So that's the answer to that question or a couple different answers to that question. And then you were asking about keywords. Um, so I always look for keywords that have a, a decent search volume, meaning at least uh, more than a hundred, hopefully average searches per month, which is the other thing to know about keyword tools is they tend to show you the average number of searches per month. Okay. So you might, depending on the keyword, you might also want to look at um, the, the trends. It will show you the trends over time. If it's trending upward and people are more people are looking for it now than they were before, that's an excellent time to use that keyword. If it's on the downward trend, uh, then maybe that keyword is dying and it's time to look for something else. Um, other keywords are seasonal, you know, gift guides and holiday stuff and 4th of July and summer tips. And those are the things that we tend to see people searching at certain times of the year and then not the rest of the year. And then they search it again the next year. So keep that in mind as well. The other thing I look at is um, the SEO difficulty score, sometimes called the competition score. That gives you an idea of how much content is already out there online that contains that keyword. One being uh, there's no content out there. You can absolutely rank for that keyword without even trying. A um, hundred being there's a ton of content out there using this keyword. You have no chance of ranking for it. Don't even bother. Um, so obviously you want to aim for something less than 50. Uh, I actually tend to aim closer to the 25 mark just because that gives you a, a really easy way to uh, to rank for that keyword. So um, you do often have to kind of balance between search volume and that competition score. Um, sometimes you got to go for something with a little lower search volume to get the lower competition score and vice versa. So that is something that I look at. And then as far as where they are in the buyer journey, you can find that out by looking keywords as well. Uh, what other pieces of content already have that keyword? Um, if you put it into Google and they get a carousel that pops up, then that it tends to show that they are people are later in the buyer stages when they are looking for when they are using that keyword. Um, those later in the buyer stages keywords, I tend to save for the sales pages. Because uh, that's where you want to drive that content. Um, again, the how to's, the informational searches, always include those in your blog posts because that's, a, again, a great way to capture people early on in the buyer journey. Um, <laughs> I know that was a long answer. I hope I answered every all of your, yeah. your question there. I hope I didn't miss anything. 
Well, another thing too, from the keyword standpoint um, that we've always liked to do is do an actual search for the keyword too. you know, yeah. see what comes up in Google and you can, you look at two things. You look at the uh, number of competing pages, you know, knowing that, you know, it could show a hundred million. I always like to, you know, obviously you want the number to be a lot lower, you know, yeah. cause it's, and not all of them are relevant. The majority are not, but it's going to mean that there's a, a, there is a segment, you know, of those first, you know, five or 10 pages or something of results that are going to be, you know, competing with you. And then the other thing I like to do is also just look at the result itself. Who is ranking? What are those sites? Are those sites strong and powerful? Because depending on what your site is, you, it doesn't matter if there's only so many competing pages. If you, if those pages are really strong because of the sites they're on, it's going to be hard to beat them out because, because of that, you know, so you want to keep those things in mind as well when you're, um, you know, seeing about what content you want to go after because you don't want to take on the Bahamas of the world. You want to find the ones that, you know, if it's other, like, uh, I always like to use like a landscaper as an example. If you're just competing with other landscapers, that's fine. You know, but if you find some blog that's on homedepot.com or something, that's going to be, you know, and it's okay if there's one or two, but if you see the whole first, you know, page, you know, the 10 results or whatever, you know, now it keeps scrolling on. But the, uh, if you see that, that's going to be an issue, you know, mm -hmm. so you're trying to find places that are not, um, saturated and whatnot. Do you see, um, you know, mentioned landscapers do you see the value so you know you talked about how to pages and such you know a lot of times at certain industries like let's say if you have a landscaper and they're giving you gardening tips or something like that well they're te they're teaching you technically how to do something do you mm -hmm. see value in those things because i mean the idea for the landscaper is to sell it as a service mm -hmm. so how do you approach that you know what's the value if they're telling you technically how to do this or that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends on the client. Um, so uh, my approach to that for my own business is because what I'm selling is the service. If people just want to do it themselves, they're not my ideal client. I would rather give them all of the information and tell them everything that I do and have them go, whoa, this is a lot. I don't have time for this. I'm just going to hire Allison to do it for me. Um, I, I would say the same is probably true of the landscaper. If someone is determined to do it themselves, they're going to do it themselves. If it's too much time and they don't want to invest that time in doing their own landscaping and gardening, they're going to look for someone else to do it for them. Um, I do also work for coaches, uh, business coaches, where what they're selling is their knowledge. So they, they do have a cutoff point of, you know, they'll give you a taste. They'll give you just mm -hmm. enough to, um, again, understand the value of what they're providing and a taste of who they are, what it might be like to work with them, um, and hopefully enough that you can start to get results by yourself, but enough to know that um, you can get even more by working with them. Yeah, that, that's good right there. Yeah, give them, give them a taste. Let them give them just enough to understand that what you're going to be doing can be really difficult, and you mm -hmm. may want to hire, you know, the expert whose blog you're reading, you know, to do it for you instead. You know, so that's where your your real value in blogs can be is, and especially, especially with those services that you can technically, you know, you could do it yourself, right? Yeah, you know, and so if you're still trying to sell what is a fairly common service where people can, you know, I say they can attempt to do it themselves and and probably can do it, it's almost convincing them it's that it's more work, you know, than you want to maybe tackle, and it would be better to hire somebody to come out and do it for you. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about, um, you know, promoting, you know, the blog posts and stuff, you know, so we can, you've got SEO and if you hit on a good keyword and stuff, there's the chance that it's going to rank. If the site is fairly strong to begin with, it's going to give it a, you know, more, a little bit more of a boost, but that's even though it's still a brand new page. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you go, you know, I say, cause it can be a little bit of a crapshoot, you know, on whether something is going to hit or not. So what mm-hmm. are other ways you could do it, you know, be using to promote a blog? Uh, newsletter is a great way to promote it. If people signed up for your newsletter, that's a way of saying they, they want more updates from you. Um, so I always put a link to a little teaser about my latest blog posts at the top of my newsletter and then a link over to that so people can read the full article if they're interested. Um, that has been a great way for me to educate my audience and keep them engaged. So again, by the time they're ready to hire, they're ready to hire me because they've gotten all that great information and they they understand the value of what I do. They're already well-educated um, in my industry because they've read all that great content. So newsletter and social media, and actually social media and SEO can kind of help each other. If you really um, know what you're doing on, on social media and you use that to promote your website, um, you can that can actually boost your SEO. Because again, Google is also keeping track of your mentions and what's going on on social media because Google knows all and it's keeping track of all these things. Mm-hmm. So um, especially if you're getting traffic from, from those websites, Google is going to take note of that. Um, so that can be a high quality LinkedIn. Um, uh, link building is also a great way to uh, get organic traffic to your website as well as boost your SEO. So link building is when you ask other websites to link high quality websites, preferably if it's a low quality website linking to your website that can actually hurt your SEO. But if it's a high quality relevant website that is providing a link from their website to your website, that is an external backlink. Google loves those. That is a way of, you know, it's the difference between you saying, Hey, I'm an expert. I really know what I'm talking about versus someone else saying, no, seriously, this person really is an expert and they know what they're talking about. It gets you that social proof and that buy-in. So Google loves that. And again, real people love that. So um, that will boost your SEO. It's also a great way to, again, just organically drive traffic back there because hopefully people are seeing that link on that other website and clicking through it to your website. Um, okay, great. So let's also get into, you know, consistency and stuff. A lot of people take on doing blogs, but then, you know, I always, <laughs> one of the things I always advise my uh, clients, if you're going to do blogging and stuff, take the dates off, you know, the blogs, because, you know, what ends up happening is they stop at some point, you know, if they're doing yeah. it themselves. Now, if we're doing it for them and stuff, no problem. Leave the dates on because we're going to be on a schedule, you know, and you're paying us to do this. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to stop until you, you know, until, until you tell us to stop, you know. But when, yeah, people do it on their own, often there is a point. And then you go to a site. And I, I my personal opinion is that, you know, if you're going to have the blog on the site, either keep doing it. I say you could take the dates off if you want, because then they don't know when your last post is, because it could have been three years ago, because otherwise, or remove the blog entirely because of the fact that I think, you know, when it's dated like that, it's, it gives the negative impression. If it's like, why have it, you know, if you're not going to bother to keep it up. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like choose one, if you're going to do it, no problem. But if things change, so how do you, business owners and stuff maintain consistency, what kind of tips would you have so that if you're going to do this, you can, you know, 
make sure you actually keep doing it to get the value out of it. Yeah. Well, a couple points about the date, um, including the date in the publication can actually boost your SEO. Um, but even if you don't publish mm-hmm. the date, even if it's not visible, Google still has its ways of figuring out when stuff was published. And Google does prioritize newer content over yeah. older content because it assumes that it's more relevant. So um, even without the date, that can hurt your SEO if you're not publishing on a regular basis. And again, Google keeps track of when you're publishing and how fresh content is. So that is always a reason to um, yeah keep up with your blog. Um, yeah, consistency yeah. is super important. And again, with the topic, assuming it's an evergreen topic, maybe people coming to your website can't tell it was published you know, three years ago, like you said, but um, maybe it's a super timely topic where you're talking about a news article that just broke mm-hmm. at the time. Or for me, it might be, you know, Google's latest update that happened back in, you know, May of 2022. If I'm writing about that and that's the last blog post on my blog, yeah. then people are going to say, well, clearly she hasn't written a new blog post in a while. So mm-hmm. that's my, my take on that. Um, as far as how to remain consistent, come up with a calendar and stick to it religiously, you know, treat it like any other deadline that has that hard stop. It has to be published at this time on this date, every single, you know, week, month, every other week, whatever it ends up being, have that schedule and stick to it. Um, Don't, don't post on like Thursday and then Friday and then be like, those are my two blog posts for the month. That's not going to help you at all. If, If you do two a month, make, you know, one on the first and one on the 15th, as an example, it doesn't have to be that just make sure it's spaced out so that it makes sense. Um, Having time set aside to blog, I have time set aside every week to write my own blog posts. So absolutely make sure that that is a priority so that it is on your calendar and you don't forget about it. And again, it has to take the same, have the same amount of importance in your calendar as every client meeting and bit of client work and team meetings and everything else that you're doing for your business that has to get done. Um, having a calendar where you said you can sit down once a month, once a quarter and go, okay, what am I going to blog about over this period of time? And if you already have the, the title, maybe a quick outline for each blog post that you're going to write over the next, like I said, month, quarter, whatever it ends up being, then when it's time to sit down and write it, it makes it go that much faster because you already know what you're talking about and you already know what you're going to say. You just have to fill in the blanks. So those are some great ways to help you stay consistent. Well, one of the, um, also when it comes to writing, because people, it can always be a challenge to find the time to sit down and stuff. And so you can go ahead and write your posts, you know, and do them all together. You know, even if you're going to do two a month or whatever, just don't publish them together. Okay. You know, like, like you mentioned, publish one and most, um, blogging systems, WordPress, things like that, you can put, go ahead and put it in there and you can set it. So on a date that it's going to publish, just like social media, you can schedule, you know, pre-schedule stuff and have it come out at, you know, whenever you tell it to, you know, cause you're right. You know, like you don't want the back to back, you want to be able to space it, have consistency and stuff, but it doesn't mean you don't have, you know, you can't do the work all mm-hmm. at the same time. You know, yeah. what kind of um, time investment on an individual post can people expect if they're going to do it right? You know, they're not just trying to rush through it, get it done, but they've done their homework, the keyword research and stuff. They've taken the time to make sure it's optimized. What's the time investment look like on a per blog post? Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw somewhere that on average people spend four hours 
on a blog post. Obviously, your mileage may vary depending on how long the blog post is, how fast of a writer you are. Um, doing things like coming up with that outline ahead of time can speed up the process. So um, yeah, be prepared to spend a good chunk of time. I think it tends to take me about an hour and a half to two hours per blog post. Um, again, I'm a pretty fast writer. So that's, that's true of me. Well, that might be true of everyone. Yeah, well, that's also the difference between somebody that does it for a living, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody that is just doing it as one aspect of their business, but it's not something they're necessarily trained to do. You know, so if they're going to, if you're going to tackle it, then expect to spend a little more time. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I I want to get your take with you know because I, and I've been asking this of like multiple people with all the AI stuff that's come out. Mm -hmm. You know, chat, just what's your opinion, what's your take, especially as it applies to blog posts, because you know people are doing it already. You know, they, mm -hmm. they're already using it to write up posts and stuff. So what's your take? Because you're a professional writer, you know, versus, you know, an AI doing it for you. Yeah, I never recommend having an AI completely do it for you. Um, it's important to remember that it's not actually generating new text. It's taking content that already exists out in the world and just kind of regurgitating it for you. Um, so what ends up happening is you have content that sounds like all of the other content out there. And uh, A, Google does not like that. Google prioritizes original content over copy content. Um, and it's not going to do anything to help your branding. You're not standing out from the crowd. You People have no reason to come to you over someone else because you're saying the same thing they're saying. Um, and if the content you publish on your website is too similar to content that's on other websites, that can potentially get you into some copyright issues. So you also want to take a look at that. Um, I am all for using ChatGPT as a as a way to get over, if you have writer's block, just kind of getting over the hump and having it yeah. jot down some ideas for you. And, and then you can take that and run with it. All for that. Um, if you do have it write a blog post for you, at least edit it, at least make sure that you change it up enough that it's recognizably in your brand voice and targeted to your audience. So you're not just copying and pasting from chat GPT to your website. Um, I have seen some people doing some really interesting things with chat GPT in terms of data analysis, which I think is pretty cool. You can get a lot of um, insights into your target audience, into your website traffic, mm -hmm. into all these different things online by inputting that into chat GPT and having it spit out information related to that for you. Um, I think that is a great use of AI. Um, so I, and that's something that I don't see enough people talking about. I see a lot of people being like, Oh, I can have AI do this for me. It's like, well, you can. Yeah. <laughs> you can Actually, you I can. think, yeah, like it, it can write you the post certainly, but you make some valid points about the issues you're going to run into. But the data analysis is an interesting thing, you know, because what you know we use chat and stuff around here for certain things, but we encourage that it is an assistant. It is not replacement, you right. know, for things. Um, so it can get you know help give you ideas, you know. Mm -hmm. So yes, you know, here give me topics that I might be able to write about. It can, but the data analysis is something you know, especially. Um, with highly technical, you know, because we've run into things in the past where the company that we might be trying to do blogging for is extremely technical in nature, you know, and so it can be a bit harder to understand. And so chat can help you kind of analyze and, and explain, okay, this is what, you know, is involved with this type of business. This is what they're mm -hmm. trying to do. And then it's like, okay, now I've got something to work with because sometimes it can be hard to either maybe even get the client to explain it 
you know, mm-hmm. exactly what they do. And so you've got to do a little bit more research into the industry. And sometimes the things you might find online as far as the research don't quite fit either. You know, so being that it can analyze this stuff, I think it's, you know, that's an interesting use of it, you know, versus like I say, it's not doing the job for you, but it is going to help make it easier for you to do it and and put together a productive piece. You know, so if you're a business owner and, and you're also looking at new angles, because a lot of times business owners, um, I say, especially when it comes to writing about their own thing, that can be, that can be difficult, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just like you get so, I guess, intertwined that you don't know how to take a look at what people would want to hear about. You're just, cause you live it, you know? So, you know, it's a little bit different, but I'm just interested cause it's like with chat, um, and other AI services, you know, that have been popping up left and right now, you know, they're all doing certain things, but they, you know, but it is not the end all be all of all, you know, of any of it. Right. So it's great. So what, you know, we're nearing the end here. What takeaways, you know, if you're a business owner, um, that wants to get started and says, okay, I'm going to do this. I think it can benefit my business. What do they need to be thinking about before they start? And then once they get going. Yeah. Um, consistency. I know we mentioned at least twice already, but it really cannot be stressed enough. So that is first and foremost and um, keeping your target audience uh, top of mind every in every step of the process of creating that content from what topics are you covering to the language that you're using in your content to where and when you're distributing it. Um Keep in mind that this is of service to your target audience so that you can position yourself as an expert in your industry. So what do they want to hear? Where are they looking for this information? Um, What what stories will resonate with them? I always like to include a story element in my blog posts and make it a story that puts my customer first uh, front and center. So um, I know you mentioned that we're all guilty of this. We all get so into the weeds in our own business that sometimes mm-hmm. we forget that there are other perspectives out there and people might not, uh, the people reading our content might not have our understanding of our, our industry that, that we have. So um, taking that step back and going, oh, that's right. They might not know this term or they might use this term instead of this term. Yeah. Super important. So, yeah. Yeah, I always find it important, like, if you, um, when it comes to writing and stuff, like, sometimes you need to simplify it. Like, you know, when you're dug into your own business, there are certain things and certain ways of speaking and language and stuff that you understand. And you don't, you pretty much talk that way and you don't realize it because you've been doing it so long. So you have to look at it from the, you know, bring it more down to the layman's, you know, terms and understand that they don't have a clue. If you go too technical and things on them, you have to be, you know, it's not necessarily you're dumbing it down. You're simplifying the language so -hmm. that they can understand it, you know, and then, you know, and know what you're actually talking about. So always, you know, consider that when you're writing, you know. If you and and a good thing to do is take some of that writing, ask some people, you know, when you're first getting started, does this make sense to you? Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And so that you can kind of because writing is a matter you do want a certain voice to it, a tone to it that you develop and that speaks for your business, essentially. So you want to make sure. So when you do your first couple of pieces, get some feedback before you do a bunch more. That way you can get that tone down. Absolutely. So this has been great. Um, Allison, how would people get a hold of you, you know, if they needed your services? Yeah, so my website is AV, as in my initials, Allison Verhalen. So that is avwritingservices.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. 
It's great. So we've been talking about blog writing and um, how you can take advantage of it for your business. Um, I'm your host, Cash Miller, Marketing Masters. I'm the CEO of Titan Digital. Allison, it's been wonderful to have you today. I hope everybody gets something out of this episode. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.